Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Juice. I'm an alcoholic. Very excited, very nervous about being here tonight. I haven't spoken in a while. feel a little out of practice, uh, but it was an honor and a privilege to be asked because this is giving back. This is that 12-step that you see, and it's uh, something that was given to me that was freely, and uh, I'm so happy to be here tonight, truly. So, you know, thinking about it over and over again for the past couple of weeks, or I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks, felt so much longer, is, uh, you know, just sticking to what I was told originally when speaking in front of group, and it's uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And so, here's my story. My real name is Justino. My parents did not name me Juice. That is uh, extremely irresponsible, and I feel like <laughs> a lot of people give me weird looks uh, a lot, but, you know, it's something that I've identified with. Uh, since I was a little kid, and I feel it's a really good icebreaker when talking to people, um, and it kind of brings a smile to their face, and that's something that I've always wanted to do, just make people happy. So my story starts in Dundalk, Maryland. It is uh, about 20 minutes outside of Baltimore, Maryland. If you're like Aaron or other people in this meeting and you know me, I'm always repping my Maryland gear. I love Baltimore. I love Maryland. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. Truly, I have a lot of great memories from there, but I have a lot of bad memories from there. And speaking with someone earlier today, he made, it, he made a good point that speaking is so important because you have to remember some of the bad stuff uh, to keep you going, to be able to share your message, to show how you overcome your adversities and obstacles throughout life. And I think that's extremely important, and that's a gift I can give to others, and I love that. So I grew up in an Italian household. My father's from Italy. My mother's from New York. Um, Very traditional, old-school Italian, right? And so family is very, 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 very important. Uh, Such things like, you know, we we would always watch movies as a group. Uh, We would always eat dinner at the table as a group, and it was... Every night, pretty much on the dot. Uh, Both of my parents were working parents. They worked in Baltimore full time. So my brother and I, uh, we would spend a lot of time together. We often fought, as brothers do. And, um, you know, something interesting that I also thought about earlier this week was, for the longest time, I always followed my brother. I always wanted to be just like him. And it took me a very long time to find myself. I thought that if my brother was doing something, that I had to do it. Um, and so I feel like that led me astray for a majority of my life because I never really found out what Juice wanted, right? So as a kid, um, living in Dundalk, 
None of you probably know that, being here in Reading, that's okay. It's not the best place in Maryland. It's actually uh, the butt end of the jokes in Maryland. But, you know, my parents made our childhood very, very nice. And I never really needed or wanted for anything. They always gave it to us. And that's something that I'm extremely grateful for today. Uh, I loved school. I loved school. And I was very good at it. Um, I had an amazing imagination because I could spend hours by myself and be totally content. You know, whether it be with like action figures being outside, imagining like Star Wars fights. Huge Star Wars nerd. That's okay. I'm cool with it. Um, you know, and I found that that was something that I identified with. And so I ran with that. And so for a long time, I stuck to myself, stuck, you know, my brother did his own thing and then I was just by myself. Well, <clears throat> Dundalk got kind of bad. Um, my brother was often bullied and my parents didn't want that for me. So we moved to a nice suburb about 45 minutes outside of Baltimore. So my parents could still commute to work. Um, you know, my dad said this one time, he was like, this was later in the story, but he said, you know, we, we were supposed to move to a nice area, but they ended up having better drugs because of it. <laughs> and I just remember laughing at that. Like, oh, he was right, you know? So we moved to Perry Hall and I had like, I remember having this moment like, oh my God, like I'm about to meet all these people. Who, who am I? Like I was having this moment at like 10 years old and so like I ended up being the class clown. Always trying to make people laugh because that is the first thing that made me happy, right? And if I wasn't putting a smile on you on your face, I thought I was doing something wrong, right? And that went on for a while. You know, middle school is just a really awkward phase for, I believe, everyone. Uh, high school comes around and that's when I was introduced to drugs and alcohol for the first time. And honestly, I didn't really like it. I saw how it turned people into like vomiting machines or passing out, kids getting in trouble, kids fighting. And, you know, that was just never me. I never really liked that. Then something clicked uh, in high school where it involved a girl and I, I wanted to impress her. And I went to a bar and I thought about it and it wasn't that bad, right? And I think the thrill really got me to and that's that's when I started learning I was like an adrenaline junkie you know when my heart starts pumping something's right right so once again you know nothing crazy happened during my high school years never really got in trouble I was actually still a good student I was class president I always like to throw that in there you know but I'm still like terrified to speak in front of a podium um it was in college that I actually joined a school for acting. And that was really interesting because in high school, I played sports and I wanted to be cool. And the theater kids were nerds and they like stayed in the dark and they were behind curtains. And I was just not about that. So I was a class clown one day in my English class. And my uh, English teacher was like, you know, Justino, I need to see you after class. And so... I thought I was in trouble. She introduces me to the theater department head and I auditioned for a play and I got it. I couldn't believe it. So I ended up having a lead role in the first play I've ever auditioned for. And I did really well. And then I auditioned for three more plays, got the parts. 
and it was like something that I grabbed onto and wanted to run with it. I had all these amazing, grandiose ideas that I was going to be like Robert De Niro, right? You know, the Italian. Um, so simultaneously, while going to school, I was also working in Baltimore at a fine dining restaurant. And that was awesome because I made loads of money. And that's when I could like showcase like how cool I was when all my friends are still working like low end paying jobs. You know, I had like a really nice job as like an 18, 19, 20 year old. Right. So then things in Baltimore started getting kind of bad. And I just remember like feeling the need to get out of the city. Um, also, some things started happening. Uh, the drinking started picking up during that time. And I found that a pick me up in the morning would make me a little bit more open, a little bit more personable when I was talking to customers. You know, they loved like a showcase, right? They loved, they loved being entertained. And that alcohol really helped me open up, make jokes, think I was funny. So I thought they were thinking I was funny. Uh, and then one day I was driving and I had drank before, not inebriated, definitely buzzed. And this woman ran a stop sign, hit me. So cops come, ambulance come, my dad comes. And I remember the only thing going through my head is like, oh my God, I have a 30 in the back. <laughs> so I stuffed it into my backpack and got away with it. I remember the ambulance, the guys, the EMTs, they're like, do you need to go to the hospital? When the airbag deployed, it actually disintegrated like all the hairs on my arm. And actually I did think I broke my arm. I did it, but it hurt like that. And I just remember thinking, if I go there, they're going to smell it. I cannot do this, right? So my brother being... Uh, a nurse in training at that time. It's like, wow, well, it seems that it's just a minor sprain. I was like, thank God. Nice. So got away with that. And I didn't think anything else, no other consequences would ever occur from that drinking. Well, uh, not even like a month after, still in Baltimore. I'm driving home one night, about a mile away from the house. And I hit a mailbox, right? I don't even know. It was... It was the middle of the day, and I was passing out while driving from alcohol. And I hit the mailbox, and I pull out real quick, I peel out, and I drive home. As I'm driving home, I'm, like, searching my car for gum. Because how am I going to explain to my dad that there is now this huge scrape and dent into the side of the car that he gave me? Right? So I'm like, gum, gum, gum. So he comes out, and immediately the waterworks start coming out. Oh, I had him. Right then and there. And I'm like, pop the car. The car gave out on me. And like I gave him this whole story, man. And I remember right before we get to the house, because we had to go and talk to the people's mail to the people that owned that mailbox, right? Because they're about a mile away. Uh, he's like, let me smell your breath. And so I was like, <laughs> just like the faintest look. <laughs> and uh, I think he knew. I think he knew. He's not stupid. My father's not a stupid man. He knew. But he had to protect me because I think he thought they were going to call the cops. So the waterworks are still going. This woman's like, honey, it's all right. It's just a mailbox. And I'm like, I have to continue the act, you know. So I uh, got away with that. Okay. Now I leave the job in Maryland, in Baltimore, excuse me. And uh, I go to Harford County. That's about, instead of being like 30 minutes south, 
I'm up like 20 minutes north in a place called Harford County, which is notorious for drinking and driving and being caught. Okay. But before I get to the get caught part, still drinking and driving a lot. And uh, once again, driving home one night, drunk, same street, three houses down from the mailbox I hit. I hit another mailbox. <laughs> Fuck. Excuse my language, sorry. So, this one, I was a little bit more, you know, I was better at it. I knew how to hide things at this point. Uh, well, first, I, I did a stakeout of the house to see if anyone heard me. I remember parking my car, like, two streets behind, like, kind of rolling up, like, walking up and, like, hiding behind these trees. And the woman came out, and I was like, oh, my God. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So, I actually went to that house the next day and told them the truth. My car gave, my battery died and I hit your mailbox and I'm so sorry. And the woman was livid. She's got a kid in one hand and a kid in the arm and she's like, you know, I heard it last night. You should have came in. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I will pay for your mailbox. It's, it's no big deal. You know, my car got hit too, you know. And uh, she's like, I need to speak to my husband. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So my dad, there's a couple days following that. My dad's like, hey, what happened to the car? Right? <laughs> I don't know, Pop. That was kind of my go-to. Oh, I don't know, Pop. Uh, and he does speak like that. Very thick. It's awesome. <laughs> so I get a call, and it's the husband. And he's like, young man, I am so proud of you for coming to my house and telling us the truth. You know, I'll go half on the mailbox with you. I'm like... Wow, absolutely. I know, like, what were you thinking? Like, I was looking up some mailboxes. There are some expensive mailboxes. What were you thinking? Like, I was trying to haggle the dude after destroying his own mailbox. <laughs> like, insanity to the extreme. Ridiculous. So, uh, another consequence that should have been a lot worse, got away with. Okay, getting really good at this. So, you know, I, I liked... I liked working in Hartford County because I was a bartender. I was 21 at the time, and um, it's like I had, a, I had a moon-shaped bar, right? And it was about 30 seats, and it was just me. One bartender for these 30 seats and the rest of the restaurant. And people came to me, and people loved my jokes, and they loved my drinks, and they loved my service. Service was huge to me. I worked at a fine dining restaurant for three years, and... You know, accompanied with like my growing love for wine and beer and other alcohol and spirits. I was like, this is the next career because the acting, I kind of gave up. It was just getting kind of difficult. Uh, so uh, working at that restaurant, I took advantage of the bartending life and drank a lot through the shift. I've heard it a lot of times, you know. One for you, two for me as a bartender. That was pretty much what was going on. Um, one night I'm driving home and uh, I was, wasn't driving home, excuse me. Still, still have it in my mind. I was not driving home. I was driving to someone's house to party. And the cop stops me. And immediately I'm thinking my life is over because I have stuff in the car and I am drunk. 
So I get out, do the field sobriety test, and he asked me if I wanted to do the breathalyzer. I said, absolutely not. So in the state of Maryland, once you refuse a breathalyzer and you, they have a suspicion that you are drinking, uh, because I failed the field sobriety test, I get handcuffed. First thing I think is, how am I going to get out of this with my dad? Right? How can I lie to my dad? How can I get out? How can I get out? How can I get out? Not, well, I did drink. I did screw up. It's time to like face the consequences, you know? No, I'm still trying to like get that mentality of like, I need to get out of this some way, somehow. So in the cop car, powered by the alcohol, of course, too, I'm drink, I'm crying and you know, I'm like, I won't do it again. And the guy's just like, Hey man, like I have no choice. Like we got to go to this police station right now. So I get there and he's like, all right, you want to do the breathalyzer? I said, absolutely. A blue 0.13. Okay. So that is drunk way above the legal limit. And, um, he said, if I cooperated, I could go home that night. Absolutely. So I cooperated and he's like, all right, what's your home address? I said, actually, I know a different address. Can you take me there? And he said, well, whose address? I said, it's my brother's house. I wasn't going to go to my dad's house. You're insane. Right? So I go to my brother's house, three o'clock in the morning, knock on the door. My brother's roommate answers the door. I was cool with the guy until that night, I guess. But he was like, he sees the cop car. He sees me. He's like, Justino, get in the house right now. I was like, you're not my brother. What? So then I go downstairs and I start using this guy's drugs. Right? Wow. Didn't end. Doesn't end with me. You know, the consequence was never enough. The worst part was calling my dad the next morning and telling him that they towed the car. So we, that he flipped out. He absolutely flipped out. Uh, but I tried to remain cool and calm and collective on that phone call, right? Like, Pop, it's not a big deal. Like, we just got to go get the car. It's no problem. I'll pay. <laughs> like, all for you. So we go and get the car. And uh, he didn't talk to me for about a month. Living in the same house, I didn't talk. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. So, um, that was on January, it was like January 10th of 2017. I got my first DUI. I had a court appearance for that DUI to see if they were going to revoke my license on May 9th. So, my dad's not talking to me. I'm still drinking. I'm still partying. Living the bartender life, living that server restaurant life, and uh, didn't see a problem with it. And then I go to court, and the judge says, "You know, this is not the court date for my DUI. This is the court date for the license." The judge says, "Okay, well, you seem like a good kid. You know, these things happen." And I heard that. I was like, "These things happen." Yeah, absolutely. You know, like. I know a bunch of people that I was just trying to like throw people under a bus, trying to make myself not look like such a bad guy. Um, so I got a, um, a license with some conditions on it. I could only go to and from work, right? Absolutely no drinking. I completely abused that. Absolutely. Drinking, going to friend's house, doing whatever I wanted to do. That was in May. And then... My birthday is May 30th, and then on like June 7th, my birthday 
lasted multiple weeks, right? <laughs> Before and after the actual birthday. So June 7th, uh, I am working an event at a brewery, and I was like, two beers, you know, I'll be good. I'm working, and I'm like, two beers, it's not too bad, no one will know. I'm driving this big food truck, <laughs> and uh, this car behind me is like flashing their lights. So I'm like, what the hell are they doing? So I pull into a school, and when I pulled into the school, cop car, right behind me. So I'm freaking out. I'm shoving tacos into my mouth <laughs> to try to get the smell out because I don't have gum. That was my go-to, I guess. Um, cop comes up. Once again, like I said, these Harford County cops, they're, they were no joke, right? They're serious, and they're serious about the drinking and driving. So immediately, he's like, you, you drinking tonight? I mean, he didn't even, like, give me a second. You drinking tonight? No. No, absolutely not. Why'd you pull in here? Uh, my... I think my lights were out. You know, this is a big truck. You know, I'm, I'm first time driving it, trying to lie, trying to get my way out of it. So he's like, all right, well, we're going to do field sobriety test and a breathalyzer. So I did the field sobriety test. And he's like, you want a breathalyzer? No. Okay. Well, you're coming with us. Now I'm like a hardcore felon, right? I've already been arrested once. I'm like handcuffs. It's nothing. I'm freaking out. That was not the case. I'm freaking out once again. I was like, I just got out of this. How did I do it again? Jesus, man, what is wrong with you? And I'm like having this conversation with myself and I'm sure he's like in the front seat dropping like, this guy's weird or drunk. So we get to the barracks and he gives me my keys and he drives me back to my car and he says, do not drive home. Get someone else to drive you home. I watch him leave. I explained to my general manager what happened, and uh, I drove home. I drove home. It wasn't until the next day, the very next day, that my dad comes up to me. I'm sitting in the garage smoking a cigarette. And he comes up to me and he says, I'm so proud of you. I know that DUI was really scary, and you told me you weren't going to drink, and it seems like you really got your, your act together, and I love you so much. And he kisses me on the head. Goes inside. Waterworks, freaking out, panic attack. I call my lawyer. What do I do? Because now reality just like kind of just hit me, right? He's like, well, you know, Juice, this is your second DUI and you haven't even gone to court for the first one. You're going to jail. Well, how do I get out of jail? I know one thing. Go to rehab. Perfect. He's like, I know the perfect place to get everyone out of DUI. Or get everyone out of jail. I'm like, this place sounds great. Okay. Uh, so I called them and they're like, we don't have beds open for you. You know, because I guess I didn't sound like too, too desperate on the phone. You know, I was like, hey, man, uh, I got a DUI and I'm thinking like I need a room. And because I knew nothing about rehabs at this point. I saw like, what, 28 days with like Sandra Bullock, you know, like my, that's like extent of my rehab knowledge. So... And they're like, we don't have a bed for you. And I'm, then I start getting like desperate. I'm like, dude, I can't go to jail. Like I'm freaking out. Then I'm crying again. So he's like, let me check. So he calls me back and they're like, we have a bed, but you got to come today. So I drove straight there. Then I called my boss, my brother, my, I have another brother, I have a half brother. And then, uh, then I called my mom. I never called my dad. Couldn't face that. 
That would have, that would have really messed me up, right? So I go to this rehab, and they did they do a good job with educating you about what drinking and doing drugs do, and they offer a really good aftercare program. And if you're serious about sobriety, you could learn a thing or two about how to change your life um, and be abstain abstain from alcohol and drugs while also incorporating some spiritual concepts. I wanted to get out of jail. I did not care, right? So I go to the court appearances, and uh, one of them, I got a null prosk, so that was nice. And then the other one, uh, the Hartford County judge, she gave me 59 days suspended, one day in jail with zero fees. Okay, I'm getting super lucky. I'm still pissed that I have to go to jail for a day, right? So then, uh, it's actually kind of funny. After I got out of jail, my dad is sitting there with his old Polaroid camera, and he took a picture of me, and he's like, let's go to IHOP. (laughs) That was funny. What wasn't funny was that when I got home, I mixed vanilla extract with a Coca-Cola because now I know I, I I needed to, like, subdue the feeling of I got a lot of stuff in front of me. I did that. The night I got out of jail. Crazy. So I went to live in a halfway house because this was a condition of my probation. And I was a very good probationee. I did my 90 and 90. Um, I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning about recovery. I just wasn't really willing to give in to the recovery. To surrender, to incorporate a power greater than myself into my life. I grew up Catholic. I abandoned that a long time ago. I had no knowledge of it, and I didn't want knowledge of it because I knew everything, right? Relying on what I knew, what felt good to me, what was I comfortable with. That's what I did. So I lived in this halfway house for a couple of months, getting drunk the whole time, and um, I actually got fired slash quit from this uh, job that I was working while I was in that halfway house. I got drunk one day, dropped a bunch of plates, and oh, it was a restaurant. Go figure. That's the first place I go and apply to with the bar. And I get drunk, and I drop a bunch of plates, and then the chef is yelling at me, and I'm yelling at him, and I was just like, I'm done. So in order to avoid all of that, I was like, Pop, I'm ready to come home. Uh, I, I fixed it. I fixed it all, right? My probation's transferring. All I have to do is call the guy. I'm good. So then uh, I go back home. Well, while in rehab, I met someone, and uh, <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. It was actually one of the worst ideas in my life. Worst decisions I have ever made. And uh, she lived a very fast-paced life, and I got introduced to a whole other demon. And um, the first time that I used this dry, smokable substance, uh, it was like my world got lit on fire, extinguished, and then lit on fire again. It was insane. And I'll never forget the feeling. And I wanted more of it. So that's why I spent $300 in about 30 minutes. 
and wanted more of it. Well, that continued for about, until I was 22, I continued until I was about 24. It got to a point where um, I got kicked out of my parents' house. I was living with my half-brother. He was so he is sober. Um, and he was like, you know what? Bring your ass to my house. AA boot camp. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever that means. So he made me go to meetings, and I had to get a job. So going from fine dining server making close to like $50,000 a year to a bartender making like, like 30, 35. Went to a fruit cutting uh, employee at Giant making like $10 an hour. And talk about humility, the, the drop down from that and where I was in my head, I was just like, <laughs> I hate my life. <laughs> But the people around me loves having me there because I would come in every day, say, good morning. How are you? Let's cut some fruit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always brought that type of energy. And uh, I ended up getting a job at Aldi's. And I I did love that. I loved Aldi's and I was really good at it. You know, I can bring up some. Some food, dude. <laughs> At insane speeds. And I could talk to you at the same time, you know? It's just going like this, right? I loved it. I loved it so much. So then I'm working about 45 hours a week, right? And things are going okay. Then my brother says to me, you're not working enough. You're spending too much time at the house. Well, what do you, what do you expect me to do? He's like, get another job or go to more meetings. So I got another job, right? Still at this point, I'm going to meetings pretty religiously, Riding a bike, because my license is now officially revoked. And uh, now I'm working about 70 hours a week. And I got, I had a sponsor. And I remember one day I called him and he brought me to a meeting. And then he brought me to a McDonald's and bought me a 20-piece nugget. And we sat at a CarMax parking lot where he just told me about his life. And it clicked. Something clicked. And I related to him. And what was crazy about relating to him was this was an ex-Marine, probably like 60 years old. Um, all he had in his life was his dog, his German Shepherd. Most important thing in the world to him. I think he was like a steel worker too. Something like hardcore, right? And you had me, like 130 pounds, kind of just like goofy juice, you know? <laughs> like... But, like, there's something about, like, the two of us that just clicked. And I think he looked at me as a son. And he told me he loved me, you know, after months of working with this guy. And then July 4th, uh, July 4th of 2019, I was, like, I was invited to a, a, a party. And I knew people were drinking there. And I had to work the next day. So it was like, I'll stop in, say what's up, and peace. That's not what happened. As soon as I got there, I mean, I only had a couple months of sobriety. Okay sobriety. I mean, I wasn't, like, fully invested. But as soon as I got there, immediately felt uncomfortable. What I did to get comfortable was what I knew. So I started drinking. And uh, I blacked out. 
the only thing I remember was waking up the next day and I had like 30 missed calls on my phone. I was supposed to work. I was supposed to pick up someone's shift. They had trusted me. And I, I let them down. So that went on for a couple more months where I'm drinking, riding my bike, going to work. And it just got really bad. I remember one time my brother looked at me and he said, you look gray. Your skin is gray. When are you going to do something about this? I was like, dude, I'm working. What else do you want from me? Back off. Like I'm trying. Because that's all I knew. And I was at, at my absolute bottom. And so my, uh, my godmother calls me one day. It had been years since I spoken to her. She was the person that owned the restaurant that I worked at in Baltimore. She calls me up. We didn't leave on the best terms. So I knew something was up. I knew she knew. And she says, let's go to IHOP. And I said, what is everyone's deal with IHOP? <laughs> My dad, her, I don't like this at all, at all. So we go to IHOP. God, <laughs> we go to IHOP. And sitting across from me, I've known this woman my whole life. I've always considered her my second mother. If anything ever happened to my parents, it was her. That's how I look at this woman. And uh, she says, so, Justino, what have you been doing with your life? I said, Marianne, I'm working. You know, ever since I left the restaurant, I've just been working, working, and uh, everything's been good. She's like, oh, okay, well, what are you really doing with your life? Come on, tell me. I'm like, She's like, you can't even say it, can you? I was like, no. No, I can't. I can't look at you and say it. I made it right down. I can't. I can't even utter the words. It was, that was that. It hurt. It hurt really bad. And so she said, I know what you've been doing. So I'm going to say it for you. You've been smoking crack. And you've been drinking. Have you been doing anything else with your life that I need to know about right now? I said, no, you basically covered it. Yeah. That's, that's about it. She's like, so I have a friend and uh, we're going to call him. Okay. So, okay. I think that was my first real moment of surrender too. Now I really think about it. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't have anyone else to, to scheme. I couldn't get out of this one. She got me. She got me good. Um, also I had French toast that I cried into. I mean, it was just like, it was a really pitiful scene. And so... Um, we call this guy and he's like, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Sounds just like that, right? <laughs> like the Fonz. He's so cool, man. <laughs> so he's like, Hey man, heard you from Baltimore. I'm from Baltimore too. Sounds great. When are you coming up to Northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, Scranton? I don't even know where that is. Oh, the office. Yeah. That's where my mind goes, you know, like a squirrel, right? So I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. In a couple weeks, let me, let me think about it. He's like, nah, you got to come today. I'm like, well, I'm not coming today. Right? So then I took my will back right then and there. Right then and there. That, that moment of just absolute just demolishment and desolation. And I was just like, no, I'm going to do it on my terms. Okay. So... I think I lasted like two weeks. I, it was my dad's birthday. He wasn't talking to me again. I had bought him this like $80 cake and I'm just like, love me, dude, love me. And he just wasn't, he wasn't doing it. He was scared. 
He was so scared. Found out later, the only reason they kept me in the house because he thought I was going to die. Told me that. That hurt. So, uh, I ended up calling the guy. Brought me up to, my parents brought me up to Nicholson, Pennsylvania. It's like 30 minutes out from Scranton. It's in the mountains. It's awful. It's cold. It's terrible. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm like a city boy. This is like backwoods. This is bad. I don't know how to start a fire. <laughs> Terrified. Um, as soon as I get there, it's like teenagers. And they're all just like fighting each other. Oh, I didn't, I didn't go to rehab either. And so like, I don't know. I was just very on edge. I didn't have any time to just like cool down before going to this place where it's like 20, 20 people. I think, I think 17 of them were 18 and under. And I was the third oldest. Okay. So all that energy is like going on over there and I'm just trying to sit in this chair, just not trying to move and sit on my hands. I heard that before in a meeting, just sit on your hands. And, uh, I remember that night, uh, it was chores and, you know, I'm still just like freaking out, man. I'm like, this new environment's really freaking me out. Um, I had a 17 year old come up to me and he's like, you need to get on your hands and knees and clean this kitchen right now. I was like, what? dude, are you kidding me? Fine. So I'm cleaning. And then he's like, don't forget the counters and walked away. I was like, okay. So I started cleaning and like, I just reverted back to what I was always good at. And I'm, I've always have been a pretty good worker. So I just started working and then I didn't stop. Right. So I was a resident. And then after a little while, um, getting a sponsor, having a home group, working the steps, I became a, uh, a senior resident. After a senior resident, I became an in-house staff member. After an in-house staff member, I became a full-fledged staff member. And it was like the first time in my life that my job was really important to me because I was just giving back without expecting anything in return. It was pretty nuts. It was pretty nuts. Um, forgot to mention, I got to that place on November 11th, 2019. And that is my sober date. And I love that date. I love it so much, I got on a bracelet. <laughs> I thought about wearing it tonight too. So... Working at this place taught me a lot about the, the truest form of altruism, right? Which is just giving back without expecting anything in return. The humility, uh, understanding that there are just a lot of things in life that I just don't know about that I need to continuously just keep seeking guidance and wisdom and experience of others of who have more time on this earth and more time in sobriety than I do. Uh, realizing I just need to shut up sometimes and just listen. And that was a big one. I got a big mouth, right? Um, always trying to put my opinion into pots and stir it. That's what I always thought about. My opinion matters. It did not matter. It stopped mattering. Right? My sponsor told me that, actually. I said, your opinion does not matter, Justina. I said, thanks. <laughs> um, my sponsor was 
fantastic. I still have a, a good relationship with him. Great relationship with him. Um, and I still seek guidance from him, even though I don't see him as often. Uh, working the steps changed my life. It gave me everything that I ever wanted in the weirdest way possible. It was like I was staring at the pitcher dead center and the advice and everything in life he gave me came around, hit me right there. I just didn't see it coming. So going to the place in Pennsylvania, I was weighing about 130 pounds. I had a cyst located right below my tailbone that was the size of like a tangerine. It was huge, dude. And I know it was huge because of the huge hole that it left. Okay. So during my 11 months of early sobriety, I was also dealing with a gaping wound. And that was horrible. That was absolutely awful. And I remember my sponsor telling me one time, he said, you get through this, dude. You get through the early sobriety and you get through this wound. You're, you're good, right? You're good. You're good. You can do anything. <laughs> that was like, okay. I remember I was working at the restaurant one day and someone was like, ew. I was like, what? And it was, oh, it was dishwashing. And it was just leaking. <laughs> and I just remembered, if I go back to this house early, it gives everyone an excuse to say, well, he chickened out. Right? So I stuck through with it. Right? And... Okay. Um, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> so I just remembered, like, combining... This work ethic with not just like working at this restaurant or working as a staff member, but I applied it to the steps. And so, like I said, I surrendered at the restaurant with my godmother. I, I did surrender there. The full surrender was when I called the guy up and I went up there. And then the real work began. I had to sit down and sit on my hands for a little bit because I was just lunatic at that point. Um... And I just had to listen. But so that was about the trust in God, developing a connection with a power greater than myself, truly believing that if I gave my will over, everything in life would be given to me in full force. Cleaning house, that was extremely difficult because there was a lot of things I was very shameful about. <clears throat> I was very ashamed and I carried a lot of guilt for a lot of years. And so that, that was a pretty decent fourth step, I think. <laughs> and uh, it took hours, days. <laughs> uh, but we did it, and we did it. And I'm still making amends today, and it's kind of coming up on the, like, the craziest times. Like I was at my brother's engagement party, and I made amends to my old boss. And he said uh, I had a financial amends to him as well. And I told him. I was like, I stole a bunch of your booze. And he said, Justino, don't worry about it. You know, what you're doing is more important than anything else. I love you. That was awesome. That was really cool. Um, you know, identifying these defects of character and the shortcomings, I mean, I'm still working on it. I'm, I try really hard. And that's a part of, like, doing the 10-step every night that I do um, and just trying to learn from my mistakes and continue getting better and better and better. 10 through 12 is my favorite. I love giving back now. I love it. I uh, love it so much. I do it as a profession. <laughs> you know, I work at a halfway house and 
It's a wonderful thing because I'm trying to give them the insight that I so ignored when I was the same age. And if they just listen a little bit, like like 10% of what I say, <laughs> it could help them a lot. Do you hear me back there? <laughs> Two years ago, I was very sick physically, mentally, and emotionally. I gained about 60 pounds during my two years of recovery. Good weight, healthy weight. Where I was manic and depressive, um, bad thoughts. Uh, today, I, I can safely and honestly say I, I wake up grateful and happy that I'm alive. It's awesome. Spiritually, I have a great connection with my God. And um, it gets me through some of the toughest points of my day. When I think that I have no hope, I'm surrounded by hope. And I believe that. I have a car today. I got my license back, obviously. <laughs> Uh, my dad and I have the best relationship in the world. The man that couldn't look at me, he now pats me on the head, kisses me on the head, gives me hugs. He loves me. I love him. I don't think he ever stopped loving me, but I think now he's, he's proud. I'm doing work. That's cool. I'm my brother's best man. My brother at one point threatened to hit me in the face with a pan. If I step foot on this property, now I'm his best man. That's cool. Um, I'm in a, a really healthy relationship with a, with a wonderful woman. And uh, it wasn't fueled by drugs and alcohol. And she fully expects me to continue doing what I've been doing. Every time I go to Baltimore, I go to meetings. And I don't want to stop that. My network has grown from one little part of Baltimore to now two states, a couple towns. I know a lot of people in a lot of places kind of thing. And so I feel like safe about that. If I ever needed to talk, call someone, my phone is littered with Johns, Jacks, Phils, Daves, and AA. <laughs> AA, AA, AA. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. Um, my life is a miracle. I truly believe that. There's plenty of times I was drinking and driving or doing the other stuff that something really bad could have happened. I could be incarcerated because there was plenty of times I was drinking and driving and doing the other stuff. Something bad could have really happened. I can fortunately say that nothing truly bad happened as to losing a life or being a part of that. I wouldn't want to experience that. I have been gifted with uh, 
with, with the gift of sobriety, and I'm not, I'm not gonna give it up for anything, for anyone. I'm selfish when it comes to that. It's mine. I'm holding it close. I love it with all my heart, and I treat it right. That's all I got. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.